We're in a series called Questions to Improve Your Christmas. If you're joining us online today and this is your first time, hey, we're glad you're there. I picture you in my my mind uh, sitting at a table or a coffee table or your lazy boy with a cup of coffee or whatever your favorite beverage is and you're joining us online. If you're in person, I'm particularly happy to see you and wish you a Merry Christmas and I'm hope, hoping that this is a great season for you and we want to help you by asking these questions to improve your Christmas, to give you a different perspective on Christmas. But if you will, maybe you're like me or a lot of people, that you have these expectations every year of this Norman Rockwell Christmas, and it's more like, ends up being more like a National Lampoon Christmas. It just doesn't go the way we plan. And so I've got a little illustration for you this morning that might, might kind of help you realize maybe why we are that way. Have a bag of marshmallows. I'll pull a marshmallow out. And we're going to talk about today about heartache. How do I handle heartache at Christmas? And I want to tell you a little story that, that, that really went on. It was a study in late 60s and early 70s. And that might be a little bit before your time, but I think it's kind of interesting and kind of fascinating. They did it with four-year-olds. Well, what they would do is they would take a four-year-old and they would bring them into an observation room with video recording capabilities. And they, a psychologist would sit down with this four-year-old and say, basically, here is a marshmallow. I'm going to place it on the table, and you can eat that at any time. But if you wait and not eat it, you'll get two marshmallows. And then they would make an excuse, and they would leave the room for 15 minutes. Now, can you imagine the incredible angst and tension and anxiety and wantedness that would create in a four-year-old mind? And by the way, before they'd leave the room, they'd have the four-year-old repeat the instructions so it was totally engaged in their four-year-old brain what they were to do. And so how do you think those four-year-olds responded? Some of them, as soon as the psychologist left, they ate it. But some of them waited. Some of them closed their eyes and tried to ignore the marshmallow. Some of them folded their hands and put, put their head on them. Some of them tried to fall asleep. Some of them sang. Some of them played with their hands and feet. Some of them, some of them tried to ignore the marshmallow in any way. But one of them actually licked the table all the way around the marshmallow. <laughs> some of them picked it up and smelled it and tried to resist that temptation. And a lot of them did. Isn't that amazing? 
And the idea behind that experiment was to delay gratification. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that. But they were waiting with tension and anxiety. They, Christmas is sort of like that. There's heartaches and angst in the waiting. And some of you might say, at this time of year, how long is that wait going to be? Much like those four-year-olds. This short period of time in our lives of waiting is temporary, we hope. It may never end, but it seems interminably long. And many of us are waiting on God, aren't we? To get through this season, get through this time. And, and many of us have lost loved ones and we remember them at this time of the year. I, I was just thinking as I finished preaching this in first service today about some people that aren't here any longer that I miss. That the Christmas is past that they made special for me. And it tugs at my heart as well during this time. And so when we have things like this go on with heartache and angst, I think the best place to go is to the Word of God, to see examples, to see principles, to see methods that we can learn from. And so today I want to turn to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 21 and on today. So if you have your Bibles or your tablets or you're joining us on version, please go there. And we're going to look at something that occurred after Jesus was born. And we're going to start at uh, verse 21. And Luke writes, And at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to The Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. What was going on in that moment was that Mary and Joseph were bringing Jesus to the temple for the second time. He had been circumcised on the eighth day, so he was a member of the Jewish community. He had been brought in as a male child. But at 40 days, and this was on the 40th day, they brought him into the temple, and Mary was uh, purified. They had a sacrifice for her, but also they dedicated him to the Lord as the firstborn child. And we know that they were an impoverished couple, that they were poor because of their offering of, of two turtle doves or two pigeons, two birds instead of a lamb and a bird. And so we know something about Mary and Joseph, that they were just common average Jews doing what was customary and that what would emplace them or involve them in the community of faith which they belonged as a tradition. And all they were doing were 
they, they were just fulfilling the law. They wouldn't have stood out in any way, shape, or form. But, but let's move on in pa- the passage today in Luke chapter 2, and let's look at verses 25 and 26. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, Simeon was just your grand old man of a certain age, grandparent that anyone would love. He was holy and righteous, but the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would see the Lord's Messiah. And so he was waiting. He just didn't wait for 15 minutes or for days or months, but for years he was waiting in that temple to see the Lord's Messiah come. And he knew and he believed that he would see that because the Holy Spirit revealed that to him. And, and some commentators would, would say that maybe Simeon was 112 years old. Can you imagine? I think that's an exaggeration. But he was a very old man looking for a very young baby, 40 days old, that would be Messiah. How long would you wait? How patiently would you wait? Would you become bitter? Would you give up in your waiting? Or would you willingly wait? I don't know if you've been in a line lately and had to wait. How was your patience in that line? I'm always fascinated to watch people wait. Some of you might not think that's very nice of your pastor. Some people get really, really mad, especially when they're in their cars and they're waiting. They're not very pleasant. Simeon took the active stance of waiting on God. He would have waited as long as it took. Now, I was at my mother-in-law's for Thanksgiving. I think I told you that I went down to Tennessee. And we had a great Thanksgiving with Stacy's family, with her brothers. And it was, it was awesome. But her, my mother-in-law, and Eleanor, if you're watching, please forgive me for what I'm going to say. And if you're an animal lover, I just want to just preface this by saying, I do not hate animals. I love animals. I love all kinds of animals. And whatever you do with your animal is up to you. But, but, but me in particular, I don't like inside animals. I don't. Let me have an awe. Or, or you're awful. Let me have a you're awful. All right. Just, just, just say what you feel right now. <laughs> I, wait a second. I don't know if any congregations have been divided over an animal. <laughs> but maybe I've started it today. But my mother-in-law has this ugly little dachshund dog that's almost hairless that's about ready to die. 
Let me tell the rest of the story. But let me, at dinner time, and my mother-in-law is a great cook, and so we sat around the table a lot and visited the whole time I was there, or we were there, and, and this dog would beg, drive me crazy. But he knew that my mother-in-law would do one of those. And to me, that's an example of a stance of active waiting. That dog was patient. It was focused. It knew it was going to come. Now, it gave up on me. (laughs) It had no hope. I did not feed that dog anything. Did not touch the the animal. Oh, (laughs) what a crowd. What a crowd. But to me, that was a great example of actively waiting on the Lord in our lives. Now, I'm not referring to you as an animal or a dog, and I love all of you, just so you know. But, but what an example. Realize this. Waiting isn't just a matter of getting what we're waiting for. It is also a matter of the kind of person we become in the process. Now, here's... Here's the rest of the story in our little marshmallow test that I was sharing with you. The kids that could wait became adults that could be patient, that were successful, that could realize their goals even if it took time. The children that couldn't wait were, were the others that became bitter, that had jealousy, that could not accomplish tasks or stay with it over time. Isn't that interesting? That even in a four-year-old, there was a difference of character and the ability of waiting, of delayed gratification. But our culture feeds something, doesn't it? Immediate gratification, especially on our phones. For some of you, it's really, really hard to sit in here for very long at all without looking at your phone and getting, getting that dopamine hit and that reinforcement because of something that we get addicted to. We need to wait well on God. And the question then becomes, are you waiting well on God? Do we know how to do that? Now, in this Christmas story where we see Simeon, I want you to realize that there is relief, but not resolution at Christmas. And so if you feel creation grown and things aren't as you expect them to be, realize this, that that's normal. That's part of creation. That's part of the fallenness. So let's look what Scripture has to say in verses 27 through 32 of this very same passage as Luke continues. He says, and he came in the spirit into the temple and when the Parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now, here's a strange man that takes up this 
brand new infant and puts him in his arms. Now, I don't know if you notice, but first-time moms of their little infant babies don't particularly like if you would just grab them out of their arms. In fact, most of our infant mothers hide up in the balcony or in our family room or they stay at home for the first three months because pediatricians say don't take them out. Don't expose them to all them germs. And I know particularly that some, some new moms don't want anybody to touch their babies. And especially, or not especially, but even, even extended family at times. Because it's no, so new and so fresh and they have this mom instinct going on to protect that baby. But Simeon grabbed him up and sang over him and loved him because he knew who he was. And the song that he sang was called Nunc Dimittis. And what that means is now depart in Latin because Simeon was free to go to the Lord. The, the mission that he had been given to see the Lord and give testimony to him, to the Messiah, had had been fulfilled. And how must that have felt to that young couple that had already been confirmed over and over again that this child was special, that this child would be the Messiah? And if, the second time they brought him into the temple, again they would hear how special and how important this Messiah was going to be. Simeon was waiting for God to actually console, to eradicate the heartache he had between how he felt things should be and what he was actually experiencing. If you're familiar with uh, West Central Indiana weather, which most of you are Hoosiers, your natives, you know that we have temperatures up and down all over the place all winter. We'll go from a, a sub-zero day to a 60-degree day, and if we get a few 60-degree days, trees will bud and flowers will start, and in fact, some mosquitoes will even be out in the winter. How many of you have ever been stung by a mosquito or bit by a mosquito in the winter? I have. And, and what happens when we get mosquito bit? We want to scratch it because it itches. And I believe that Christmas scratches an itch and it gives relief, but it does not give resolution. Because Christmas is an advance of something else. You know, at Christmas, we may be waiting for loneliness to abate through a deep connection or a healed connection to occur with someone. See, Jesus comes that we might have good relationships not only with him, but with everyone, because that peace that he gives should break out in our lives to others. We may be waiting for a habit to change or a cycle of sin to be broken. There might be an addiction 
in our lives. And a lot of times when people are coming to the Lord, they're shedding some skins, if you would say, in their lives. There are things that they're bringing with them that Christ is going to remove, but it's not an instantaneous type of Situation. It's something that they fight with and they war with as Christ moves into their lives and changes them from the inside out. Some of us may be waiting for peace. There's turmoil. There's frustration. There may be family problems. There may be blown up relationships. But Jesus then becomes our peace, our wholeness, our shalom. To, to restructure and to, to heal us and to make us whole. Christ's coming at Christmas reminds us what God has in store for us is worth an ongoing wait for him to re- fully resolve it in our life. And that takes time. It takes waiting. It takes patience to do that. I want you to imagine Jesus Christ there in the arms of Simeon as he sings over him. Can you see Jesus as a baby there in your mind's eye? Can you picture him? And how do you experience him? That brings us to the question, how can we actually experience this relief and be assured of this Resolution. And we've got to remember that this resolution comes through sorrow. That's not good news. That's not happy news. But that's the reality. Let's look at Luke chapter 2, verses 33 through 35, as Luke goes on and he says, And his father and his mother marveled, at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So that resolution was going to come through the cross that his death was going to be our covering for our sin. He was going to be the one and only and final sacrifice that we might receive grace through faith and have a relationship with him and also have the peace of God as we relate to others. Now, we can experience relief now by faith in Christ and what he did at the cross. And so this relief we feel, this scratch on the itch, comes at Christmas, but not is not even totally resolved in this life. But we are looking forward to the life, that second advent, that second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we do with our heartache at Christmas? What do we do? We choose to wait well. And how do we do that? I'm going to give you three quick ways to do that. The first way is to take an active stance toward God by intentionally trusting Him, putting our faith and our trust 
in the one and only God and what He is doing in our lives. Have you done that? Or have you let fear come back into your life and paranoia? Because we're fed that all of the time. Either to sell us something or to drive us somewhere or to do something. But we have to place our faith and trust in Him and Him alone. Number two, choose to be prayerfully dependent on God and obedient to God. No matter what, keep that connection of communication to be dependent on Him and to be obedient to Him because He wants the best for your lives. There's no one else that is more for you than God. And finally, number three, actively want for God to do His work in and through us. Are you looking out for God and what He's doing in your life? In the circumstance that you're in, faithfully putting your trust because he has a hand in what he's doing in your life. He knows you intimately and personally. It's no accident that you are where you are right now to accomplish his purpose for you in and through you. Jesus came as an infant, frail, human fully God and fully flesh fully human that's amazing isn't it poor Mary hearing this old man this good old holy man say to her that your child is going to bring you heartache Can you imagine the unbelievable heartache that she experienced? So if you're experiencing heartache right now and expectations aren't meeting what what you thought they would be, you're not alone at Christmas. Mary heard that and pondered that. And then she told the Apostle Luke as she knew the rest of the story about that baby Jesus and how he was dedicated to the Lord on that 40th day. And and the work that he did that changed our lives forever. Our eternal destiny is already done. we're, We're saved by grace through faith. God's done his work. We're complete. We just have to hold on. Amen? If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know how you do life. I don't know how you do Christmas. With the expectations and the the ideal versus the real because he gives us hope he gives us light he gives us love he forgives our sins we get do-overs all the time when we repent now he wants to be your savior and he also wants to be your lord and if you don't know him today should be the day that you come to know him if you're struggling hey this is the place you ought to be This is where God does his work in your lives as part of a family of God. We might look pretty well on the outside, but on the inside, we may be struggling, all of us. But he wants to do that work with you in the family of God. And we can only do that physically present with one one another. uh, This is the best family that you can be involved with. I, I love you all. 
You made a difference in my life. And we make a difference in each other as we encourage and as we struggle along together in the community of faith. That's what God designed it. We need each other. And so if you're not experiencing that, I would encourage you and challenge you to allow God to do that work in you in fellowship with one another. More than just having a meal, but really relating to one another in a way that makes a difference in your lives. That's how I've grown in Christ with people loving on me and being being direct with me and being candid and where I where I fail, when I fail, but also when I succeed, they they're there to encourage and challenge and correct because I'm loved just like you are. But you got to be a part of the fellowship to do that. So I would challenge you today to to do what God calls you to do in this moment right now because he has a purpose and he has a plan for you. Will you please stand as I pray? Eternal God and Father, we are grateful for this time that you can work through your word and through your spirit. And Father, we, we just thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives, that you're a God that's not distant, but you're real and near and that you love us. And Father, in our heartaches, no matter when they are, whether they're at Christmas or other times of the year, we just ask that we will be faithful, that we'll put our faith and our trust in you. And Father, for those that don't know you as Lord and Savior, that maybe have been hearing about you all their lives but don't really, really know you, I just pray that they would come to know you in a saving way, to know Jesus as Lord, to know you as the Father that loves them with a crazy, crazy love. And, and, and Father, that we'd experience a spirit like Simeon did. That we would live holy lives in anticipation of what is to come. And Father, we just ask that you would do your work. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you come this morning?